This episode of Reality Escape Pod is brought to you by Morty, Escape Tales, Buzzshot, and Patreon supporters like you. Buzzshot is customer satisfaction software for your escape room business. They offer an assortment of pre and post game features, including robust waiver management, branded team photos, and streamlined review management for Yelp, TripAdvisor, Google Reviews, Morty, and more. David Staffel of Bewilderbox Escape Rooms in England has this to say about Buzzshot. We've always done pretty well for reviews at Bewilderbox, but the amount we were receiving almost doubled when we started using Buzzshot. If you're looking to increase post-game engagement, it's a no-brainer. Not only that, but Tom and the team provide the best customer service you could ask for. Streamline your marketing and grow your business at buzzshot.com slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D. When booking your free trial to get 20% off your first three months. Details in the show notes. Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod, your lifeline when you need a getaway from the real world. I'm David Spira, alongside my co-host, PG Law. Together, we're exploring immersive gaming from all angles, and we'll be joined by guests who really know their stuff. Each episode this season, we will be interviewing escape room creators from different countries. Today's guest is from Tel Aviv, Israel. We're joined by Guy Bosco. Guy has designed about a quarter of the escape rooms that have ever existed in Israel, more than 200 of them. He also designs games for education and training with clients ranging from museums to the police and military. Welcome, Guy. Hello. Nice to be here. I'm so happy to have you join us. I just wanted to share a small story from when I had asked Guy to come do this interview with us for the podcast. And I know that he said he was a little bit nervous about doing it in a second language, as we all would be. And he said, but doing things that scare us is very important. And that was part of why he said he agreed to come on. And I just want to say that I was really impressed with that attitude. So thank you for coming on to talk with us. Thank you for having me. You've designed an impressive amount of games. How many have you designed? Do you even know how many you've made? Well, (laughs) sometimes people ask me how many rooms I've played, which is also a bit difficult to count. It's the same problem of counting stuff. How do you define playing a room? How do you define designing a room? I designed roughly around 200 something real escape rooms. And then there are some escape rooms that I've only helped design, like wrote a couple of puzzles, a few escape rooms which I only consulted, a few escape rooms that I did part of the work. So it's very difficult to count those. But if you count rooms that I completely designed, that would be a bit over 200 as of now. 200 is a crazy number of rooms to have designed. I don't know if I've even played 200 rooms yet. I want to break this down a little bit more. Do you have a sense of roughly what percentage of Israeli escape rooms you have helped design in some way? Yes, uh, about 25%, I think. Uh, If you count everything that has been open since the beginning of the industry here in Israel, to this day, counting everything that has closed down over the years, you come to around 800-something escape rooms since the beginning. I keep a list, like a very thorough list. One of my many hats in this industry here in Israel is keeping that list of everything that has ever existed in the industry here. So 200 out of 800 would be around uh, 25%. That's not including the work I do in museums and other places. Are those lists published online anywhere? Yeah, yeah. The list of everything that ever existed in Israel is very public. All the enthusiasts in Israel use it. Uh, It's very important for the community here. And where can we find that? That's one of the pinned posts in the Israeli Enthusiast group. It's in Hebrew. Everything is in Hebrew. So I don't know if it's any help to you, but anyone who wants to come to Israel is welcome to talk to me and I can help with that. How many different escape room companies have you worked with? There are currently not a lot left, but at the height, there were 150 companies. I think I worked with about 80% of them, 
most of the companies in Israel have worked with me uh, one way or the other, either designing a complete room or just like hiring me to consult. At this point, I think most of the companies in Israel. This is the thing that I'm most confused by and intrigued. I just hit 1,000 games played a couple months ago. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a function of me playing a lot of games. Designing all of these games for hire is a lot more complicated. You had to sell a lot of people on hiring you to design their games. How does that happen? How does one person design so many games in a single market? I don't feel that I had to sell that usually like most of, if not all of the companies that I've worked with and all the rooms that I've designed have come to me at some point or another. How did you become that guy? How did you become the person that everybody... Where, where do you want me to start? That's <laughs> how, how long is this episode? What was the major thing that made you become the person that all of these companies were coming to? I have to imagine there was an inflection point or something like that. I don't know if you can tell. The listeners don't see me, but I'm a huge nerd. I'm a huge geek. A lot of the creators in this industry are huge geeks, and I'm one of the biggest ones. And I grew up that way. I played a lot of games. I watched a lot of movies, a lot of TV. My father would bring a lot of board games home. We would play a lot. I'll skip ahead <laughs> that part. I used to write a lot, short stories mostly, and writing a lot in the sci-fi and fantasy community in Israel. It started with writing stories for myself and then sending stories to competitions, winning a couple of competitions and stuff like that. Then around 98, 99, I think it was that we discovered the internet the first forums of the internet back then, where suddenly you find out you're not alone. You're not the only one in Israel that likes Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You're not the only one in Israel that likes Babylon 5 or Star Trek. And then you find other people like you. And Israeli sci-fi and fantasy community grew exponentially. And the very first conventions in Israel were amazing, and they just got more amazing over the years. In a month, it's going to be the 25th Israeli sci-fi and fantasy convention, ICON. Uh, it is the Israeli equivalent of Comic-Con, but with a lot of original content. We do a lot of stage shows and independent films and a lot of stuff like that. And when I found that community, I immediately became a part of that community. I started writing for those large conventions, stage shows. We wrote musicals that were a huge hit. We wrote independent films that ran in some international conventions. Fan-made stuff, like really, it isn't even low budget. It's no budget. Yeah, it's really fan-made stuff, but it was amazing. It was a lot of fun. And I grew in that community. As I got older, it's the same everywhere in the U.S. as well. It's hard to make money from writing. And in Israel, Israel is a very small pond. The TV and film industry here is good, but it's small. And I didn't see myself making a living out of that. I studied computer science. I became a programmer. I worked for 10 years at a semiconductor company programming bits, ones and zeros every day. The most unfulfilling, uncreative work you can imagine. And during the nights, people said I had an alter ego because I worked in programming all day. And then at night, I wrote musicals and stage shows and, and game shows and puzzles and riddles and stuff like that uh, way before there were escape rooms. We had puzzle hunts back then. So I wrote puzzle hunts and all kinds of treasure hunts and stuff like that for the big conventions. When did you make the leap into writing for these conventions and writing for sci-fi? When did you make the leap from that into creating an escape room? When the very first escape rooms came to Israel, that was late 2014, beginning of 2015. That was the first time that I saw something that I said, okay, I can make a living out of that. For the first time, I found a working model that can take my creative side and the things I did as a hobby 
it's hard for me to call it a hobby, but it was after work and create something and actually make a living out of it. Back when escape rooms came to Israel, everyone said, this is a trend. This will go away. You're crazy if you're going to do it. Why would you do it? And stuff like that. And when I was interviewed, people said, that's amazing that you believed in that so much that you went and did it. But that's a huge lie because I would not leave my comfort zone at all. I'm like a very anxiety person. I would never have left that. And what happened is that around that same time when escape rooms became big in Israel, when they first came here, I started writing like a couple of puzzles for the first ones. But the big leap was when a very large company did a hostile takeover of the company where I worked. They fired 1,500 people who worked around the world. It was a global company. They fired everyone. And I found myself out of a job. And everyone around me, all my friends at work, all the other programmers went to interview in other companies. And I was like, okay, it's now or never. I took the severance pay and I put all of that into creating my very first escape room. Uh, it was Knights of the Round Table escape room. That game was opened up in Los Angeles as well, correct? Yes, that's correct was the first game in Israel that was sold to other countries. It was the first game in Israel that was sold to other companies in Israel. It was my very first escape room. It was a bit ahead of its time. It was not exactly based on the Arthurian legend as much as it was based on Monty Python and the Holy Grail, <laughs> which I love, and on the board game Avalon. I love Avalon. I love board games. Avalon's a social deduction game, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a hidden role game with a traitor mechanism. And I really wanted an escape room that had a traitor mechanism and that had hidden roles. The room became immediately very popular in Israel. All the room owners came to come see what is this special thing in that room, the traitor mechanism and everything. Was this your own escape room company or did you design for someone else? Yeah, no, this was my own. My first steps in this industry, I had my own room, my own company, which I started, Knights of the Round Table, was actually my only room that I had. I ran it for uh, two years, and then the part of the business of writing for others became so big that I couldn't run uh, Knights of the Round Table anymore. I sold it to uh, one of my employees. And uh, he ran it to the ground very quickly and, <laughs> and it was closed down. <laughs> so you started your own escape room company. The one game that you produced was a hit and the other escape room companies and creators in the region took notice and said, I would like this person to design my games for me. And that's what launched your career. Yes, exactly. I knew how to design an escape room because I've done a lot of similar, not exactly similar, but I knew what I wanted to design, but I had no building skills at the time. Right now, many years later, I know how to connect wires and I know how to build a wall and I know everything to do with the execution part of, of the design, not only the design itself. But at the time, I didn't know anything. I went to a company that creates sets for TV shows and for movies in Israel. And I said, I want you to build me a castle. I need a large round table that can spin with rings that can spin. And I want that. And I want torches that you can pull. And I want that. And I want that. And the guy that built it for me, the guy that was the manager of that, a few weeks after he built it for me, he called me up and he said, look, I'm leaving the company where I work, the set designer company. I'm going to start my own escape room. I know how to build stuff, but I don't know how to design. So maybe you can design my room. And so he was the first and we completed each other. He today has one of the companies that is considered one of the best in Israel. Also one of the top 25 uh, Terpeka companies in the world. And which company is this? This is The Maze. And I was talking about Orma Toki, the owner of The Maze. This was the start of an amazing friendship because I've later designed all of his rooms. And together we built a lot of the top rooms in Israel where I design and he builds them. And that was a very good collaboration that we had going on after that. And after I built for him, then others started coming and asking the same. It's all making sense now that your partner was 
a set designer and you have been writing and creating puzzles for most of your life. It makes a lot of sense. And also I knew it had to be community and networking. That's I think a big part of it too, people that are able to get a lot of work is you're good at embedding yourself in the community and making friendships and being a good person to work with. Yeah, this is a huge part of success stories, networking. It's something I really believe in. A lot of the people who work in this industry and are doing well, not only me, would not be where they are without this networking. Part of what I do, I have many hats in this industry both as an enthusiast and a former room owner and a designer and a lot of things. And part of it is I run the Israeli room owner group. All the room owners in Israel talk to each other all the time. The community is very supportive. A lot of mutual help, a lot of recommending other suppliers and how do you do that and how much are you paying your accountant and how are you doing other stuff. There's a lot of support there and networking is amazing. (laughs) Speaking of getting help for your projects, we had a lot of help for this interview from Matthew Stein, who is one of our writers on Room Escape Artists. And recently he played a lot over in Tel Aviv. His Israeli reviews have been publishing for the past few months already. And one of the things that Matthew impressed upon us was your talent for not repeating yourself. So how do you keep your ideas fresh and how do you find new inspiration? First of all, I love Matthew. I met him when he came to play here. An amazing person. His reviews are amazing. I love reading them. Keeping it original, it's getting hard, I have to say, after that many designs and also designs in the gamification area, which is totally different, which is also an area where I design a lot. It happens that I forget. I don't keep a list of all the puzzles I design. So sometimes I would design a puzzle and it would look familiar, but I would say, okay, it's not familiar enough. It's okay. I leave it there. And then later I would find out it's something I designed like many years ago and he's in another room or something like that. I mean, that happens. That also happens on this podcast. PG and I can't remember the stories we've told. We're only a few seasons in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you play 200 escape rooms and you try to remember all the puzzles there, and I try for that not to happen, but it can happen. But usually, yeah, all the rooms feel original and different from each other. There is a familiar atmosphere that people say I have a whimsical kind of atmosphere of the narrative and of everything. But the puzzles, I try to design different things. There are some puzzle types that would repeat itself because there is a limit to originality of puzzle types, but uh, the execution is usually different, which is also a part of it because because I design for different companies and the execution is usually different. It's not always or Matoki from the maze comes and builds it. It's many different people and many companies that build the rooms. And in a lot of cases, the owners themselves build the room. So it's the same. You take a script, you give it to 10 different directors, you get 10 completely different movies. So it's the same here. But I try to keep it original by thinking about everything I design and trying to say, did I do that already? Didn't I do that already? Etc. It's impressive because Matthew left Tel Aviv really impressed by how different all of the games he had played, most of which I believe were designed by you. And what we had talked about was how even within many smaller escape room companies, you can see many more common patterns in game design And they've only made a few games. So given how many you have made, he was really impressed by the amount of variety you have managed to produce among your own portfolio. I'm glad to hear that. That's uh, very flattering. We're taking a moment to thank our sponsor, Morty. Morty is a free app for discovering, planning, tracking, and reviewing escape rooms and other immersive social outings. I believe in Morty so much that I have a stake in it as an advisor. We're not the only ones who have gone global. In preparation for this episode, Morty's team has added tons of escape rooms and companies in Israel, including 45 companies, 
in over 57 locations, covering 162 games. Lisa and I were supposed to go to Israel in the spring of 2020. Something got in the way, but we're still really hoping to get there. And so I've been scrolling through Morty a little bit and starting to wish list all of the games that I want to play. I'm pretty excited about this trip that I have not yet planned. And you can use it to track the ones that you have played. That's one of my favorite features is being able to track all the details of the games you've played. And you can even post a photo for the game you just played, which is awesome because I know that in some of these games, you will be cooking food. And it's really cool to have the memory of that pizza that you've baked or that cupcake that you've made and have that photo right there in your own personal review of the game. You can learn more at mortyapp.com slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D to sign up and get a special badge for our listeners. Link and details in the show notes. So you talked about how different companies will execute your designs in different ways. And we were wondering when you create designs, how much control do you have over how games are built or maintained? Usually none. I give support when sometimes an owner would call me up and he would say, listen, when we tore that wall down, we found a supporting beam so we can't put the gate where we thought we would put it. We're going to put it in another place. How do you think that would affect the gate? And calls <laughs> like that. But usually I don't have much say. It varies a lot between room owners. There are room owners that I would submit my design and then I would not hear from them until the test runs and I would come in and see what they did and uh, yell at them. No, I want to yell at them, but, you know, get annoyed <laughs> or something like that or get very impressed. I can get very impressed if they did a, an amazing job. And there are room owners that would send me daily updates on WhatsApp with videos and voice notes, like endless voice notes which I love, by the way. This is my preferred way when people include me in the process. I've learned over time to let go uh, most of my obsessive need to be a part of it and see what happens and for the outcome to come out as best of possible because the first rooms I designed and didn't come out really great because of execution, I took it really hard. And it's difficult to see something you designed ruin. But over time, I learned to let go. Also, most of the things I designed do come out great, but those that don't, I'm okay with it. And I've learned to let go of that. And I also have to imagine that there is a certain amount of when the game does come out great, it's great initially. And then there's a certain amount of chaos and entropy that starts to enter and things start to break. They're not maintained. They change things more than they probably should. And the quality starts to degrade over time. Is that something that you've had to work through? It's something that happens in the industry in general. Most of the companies in Israel right now are good companies, not all, but most. We had a time in Israel that Israel was the number one country in the world in the number of escape rooms per person. And that was not something to be very proud of, but <laughs> because a lot of the games were not that good. But when we got to that point, uh, the market in Israel kind of collapsed on itself because there were too many escape rooms. And I can't say that all of the rooms that closed down were the bedrooms because that's not how it happens. The end of 2019, we got to a point where there were an appropriate amount of escape rooms in Israel, and most of them are good. And good companies do keep good maintenance. So most of the companies that are currently running in Israel keep good maintenance, except when uh, it's the holidays and over the summer. Israel is a very family-oriented country, and escape rooms are very family-oriented. And so over the summer vacation and holidays, rooms get wrecked because of a lot of kids that run through them. Do you design with that in mind, knowing that the room is probably going to be played by a lot of children? Yes. The very first part of the process is I sit down with the owner and we talk about what the room is going to be. So part of that is also the owner says, I want this to be only for families. Or he says, I want this to be for 
families, but also for enthusiasts to enjoy. Or this is only for horror, so it's not going to be families. Or sometimes families and horror on the same room, which is a bit more difficult. We sit down, we talk about the target audience, we talk about the length of the room, we talk about square meters, and we talk a lot about the budget, because I know how to design for a specific budget. This is one of the most important things in the industry, in designing, because if I write a room that later the owner can't build, then I've done a misservice for that owner. He can't do anything with the script if I write in like an escalator with moving walls and stuff like that, right? So the budget is a very important part. And after designing 50 rooms or so, I knew how much each element I put into the design is going to cost, how much the graphics are going to cost, how much the electronics are going to cost, how much the set design is going to cost. And then I can tailor made a room into a budget, into a square meter, into a target audience, etc. Your design, The Sting, which is at the escape room company that you mentioned earlier, The Maze, was your love letter to escape rooms and was very much a game targeted at escape room enthusiasts. What did you feel was important to accomplish in that design? It's very hard to speak about that room without spoiling things, hoping that people will come to Israel eventually to play escape rooms here and hopefully the sting as well. Um, (laughs) How do I speak about that room? Because you don't know what the sting is, right? Or did Matthew spoil it? Matthew spoiled it a little bit. I know that it's a very meta escape room and it's playing with escape room player expectations about escape rooms and about what escape room companies are. Yes. Well, I have to say, even that room has several versions, like the main versions, the one I wrote thinking about enthusiasts is for enthusiasts, but it also has a family version, like for families to come in. It's called the Sting Kids. That's what they call it on the website. That's very cute. There's the Sting and there's the Sting Kids. I'm a big enthusiast myself. I've played over 800 escape rooms. I play all over Europe uh, with my team. We travel a lot. We're escape room tourists. And so the enthusiast experience is very important to me as an enthusiast. And I try to incorporate stuff for enthusiasts in almost every room I make. This thing is a very special room for that, but I try to do like little things for enthusiasts in other places, despite the owners not necessarily liking enthusiasts. The relationship between uh, room owners and enthusiasts is a difficult one. It's like the relationship between film critics and, and filmmakers and food critics and restaurant owners. Like in every other industry, it's a complicated relationship. There are amazing enthusiasts in Israel. There are also terrible enthusiasts in Israel. And so some owners really don't like if they say the enthusiast community is like 1% of my audience. What do you feel is the difference between a good enthusiast and a terrible enthusiast? (laughs) It's a loaded question. (laughs) I have my opinions on this as well. I'll put myself out there also. There are ways to give criticism. There are ways to ask for stuff. Self-entitlement is a huge part of any bad critic in any industry. And we all know the Yelp reviewer, South Park did an episode about that, I remember. Yeah, also the type of reviewer who won't show up unless you give them a free game. Yes, there are what we call here test run leeches, which each time they hear like a new room is about to open up, they would drive the owner crazy like with messages and stuff for them to come and test it. Like it's a service they do for escape room owners. I find myself a lot of times torn between these communities, the community which I work in, the industry which I work in, because I have to stay on very good terms with all the escape room owners in Israel. I run the group and this is my livelihood. And on the other hand, the enthusiast community, And sometimes there are cases where I agree with the room owners about something that happened, like totally. And sometimes I would agree with the enthusiast about something that happened. Same. I'm sure it's like that for a lot of people in the industry, yeah, who are also enthusiasts. 
David, anything to add to that? For me, the thing that I'll add is as a enthusiast, you are not obligated to give your opinion to the creator on every single game you play. You don't have to share every single thought. Lisa and I have gone and built a website around this, but we also aren't going to sit down and insist on talking to the owner afterwards and telling them every single thing we think about. We put out our review. If they want to talk about it, we're down to talk about it. If they don't, then that's fine. But I think that I see this in some people. It's like a, it's a very strong urge that they have to go and share every single thing that they thought about a game. And the advice that I give people about this is to try and get a sense of if the creator actually wants to hear those thoughts. And the way that I do that, and I'm giving this away, if a escape room owner asks me, did you have fun? That's not an invitation to have a conversation. In fact, there's a whole big thing about the question, did you have fun at Recon Boston? And just don't do it. Don't say it. <laughs> it's just a terrible question to ask. But that's not an invitation for conversation. If an escape room owner or creator comes to me right after I play a game and they say, hey, your team needed a hint on that puzzle. And like every team needs a hint on that puzzle. What do you think is wrong with that puzzle? Or if they ask me another specific question, something very specific, that is an invitation for a conversation. There's a problem that they're trying to solve. There's something they're trying to improve. They want input. But that general question, did you have fun? That's not that invitation. I agree. The worst is the awkward silence. <laughs> We're all just standing there like, uh. <laughs> It was okay. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm feeling so attacked. If you guys are listening to this and you feel attacked, you're not alone. Because I'm, I'm feeling a little attacked right now. I feel like today I learned I am probably a bad enthusiast and I will work better at all the things. This isn't the kind of thing that comes from a malicious place for most people. It's coming from passion. And the thing is that when you're on the creator side and all of that passion is coming in and you're getting all of this constant nitpicky feedback, it does erode the creator to a certain extent. And that's the thing to watch out for. The other thing is that there's also nothing wrong with playing something and loving it and even dissecting it amongst your team and amongst your friends and not having to give that feedback to the creator. And I know that that sounds ironic coming from somebody who's reviewed a thousand escape rooms. Not at all. I completely agree. There's always ways to give constructive criticism. Yes, but it's also not always necessary. No, and most of us are not very good at being constructive about it. <laughs> yeah. For me, usually when a room owner wants my opinion, he pays me for it. So that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. <laughs> I think that's a good, clean solution to the problem. <laughs> yes. But when I play abroad, then that's different. And then we get that, that how was it, that, that question? And we say, either it was amazing or we nod and smile and move on to the next room. <laughs> I don't even mind how was it. I find that a better question than did you have fun? Because how was it I can answer like, oh, I liked the props. You know, there's ways to answer yeah. that without like if somebody just says, did you have fun? And this is a yes or no question. There is really no room for me to escape <laughs> answering this question. So, Guy, since you're constantly having to design escape rooms that are more family friendly, I have to imagine you have a very lengthy list of crazy things that you would like to build that you just don't have the market for. So there are a few rooms with like specific sims that I've always wanted to build. And I sometimes suggest a specific sim to, a, to an owner and I say, how about something similar to the Princess Bride? And the owner would say, what is that? And I would go, <laughs> no, you didn't just say that. <laughs> that is really sad. There's a shortage of perfect movies in this world. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> exactly. So I have a list of those. And of course, there are all kinds of crazy ideas for contraptions and for like game elements, which are insane that I know people are not going to build. Or sometimes I try to incorporate them into my designs when there is a budget and then they don't build it. And occasionally mm -hmm. I would play a room in Europe and suddenly see the exact thing that I 
dreamt of designing. And that would get me so excited to see that someone built it. I have had this long list since the early days of escape rooms of elements that I want to see in escape rooms. And over time, I've been checking them off this list. But yeah, there are lots of really creative things that people are doing. Escape Tales is a tabletop escape room series with a focus on strong story and puzzles. Their games have weight and atmosphere, and the decisions you make along the way change the outcome. They are each crafted by the folks behind Lock Me and the Escape Room World Championship. They really know escape rooms and love them, and it shows in their product. Escape Tales feels about as close to a real-life escape room as you can get on the tabletop. David, what's your favorite part about the Escape Tales game series? I love the way that they tell their stories, the way that they walk this line between really heavy and serious topics and really funny dark humor. It all comes together in this unique voice that I've never seen come from any other creator. Yeah, there is a cool, dark, creepy vibe to it, and it can get a little bit scary at times, which I loved, of course. Yeah, the vibe is real. Like, you you really, really feel it. And if you do something like augment it by putting on a creepy soundtrack in the background, like, it really does elevate the experience of playing Escape Tales, because the game is already priming you to be in that spot. The other thing that I think is really cool about this game, first of all, the pieces are quality. They feel really good in your hands. But I also like that this game is replayable because you make decisions. They do impact how the game ends. In fact, all the games have like dozens of different endings. You can play as different characters. And so you can go back and replay the game and it'll be different every time. I can confirm that. I've played The Awakening twice. You can buy any installment of the Escape Tales series at store.boardanddice.com. Board and Dice is now shipping from both the United States and the European Union, so your games will not get held up in customs. Use discount code ROOMESCAPEARTIST at checkout to receive a generous 25% off your purchase. Details in the show notes. You design educational games for a wide range of clients, ranging from museum, police and military training, and other kinds of education. How do you go about researching to design for specialized training? This started, I think, a few months after I started writing for other escape room owners and my rooms started to pop up all over Israel that people playing those rooms ask the owner, like someone who had a museum or someone working in a specific role in a high-tech company or other company like that in the military would play a room and say, this is amazing. How can we get that into our place, but with our educational value and stuff like that? Who designed that? And then they would give them my name. And that's how I got into that. I didn't have the experience needed at first to write educational stuff. So that came over time from trial and error, like many other things in this industry and many (laughs) other things I did at the beginning. A lot of what I do comes from experience. Testing your ideas and dropping your ego are really important here. Yes, exactly. And yeah, that's dropping my ego. That's easy with a constant imposter syndrome that everyone has and and, and stuff (laughs) like that. Yeah. Uh, Even with all the rooms and the success and everything, it's, yeah. I imagine you don't have background in police work. So when a police department comes to you and says, I want you to design a training to fulfill X requirement, how do you go about doing the research and making sure that the game you're designing is doing the right things for the audience? Okay, so that varies very differently between uh, different customers of gamification, different museums, different organizations like the police or the military, the education ministry, etc. There are some clients that would come and say, we need to do like content meetings. And then we would sit down with their content people 
and they would teach me everything that is important to them to convey during the game. Eventually, you have to realize the game is not very long. It's a one-hour game, or sometimes it could be a two-hour game, or a 45-minute game if it's for classes and stuff like that. So the amount of stuff you can give through a one-hour game is not short. It's a lot of material that you can go through, but they don't have to teach me like months after months of education. They just have to teach me the very specific things that are important for them to convey during the game. So we would have content meetings, and in those content meetings, we would go over all the material. I would ask questions, they would answer. And I'm a quick study. I study like a lot of things. And there are other clients that would just say, we want an experience that educates people about World War II. There is stuff online, go read about it. And, and that's it. Do whatever you want. Or they would send me articles that are important to them. Or they would send me books that I have to read. There are no content meetings. Just me with myself reading a lot and researching online. Even with the content meeting, there is a lot of online research for that. The educational stuff, the gamification stuff is more expensive. I charge more for that than designing regular escape rooms because of the hours of research online. And currently I can tell you so many things about so many topics at this point, like about World War II or about the Yemenite Jews in the 19th century or about religious stuff, uh, specific ones, etc. You must be great on trivia teams. Could you give us an example of the type of game that you would be creating for police or military training? I can give the example that I designed for the police here. The topic that they asked for was the police values. They gave me the values, their meanings, and they gave me all the educational stuff that they currently use. So they have all the materials from the lectures and they want to put it into a game. So what we did there, we built escape boxes that are specifically designed for the police with different narratives. There were several boxes, each to do with different values. One of the boxes was a bomb you have to defuse. One was a detective murder case. And then it's like an escape box, but with a lot more material into it. Oh, I see. Okay, so these are still kind of educational training and not like I was imagining like scenarios where we have to like defuse the bomb and save the world. One of the boxes is a defuse the bomb game where they have to defuse the bomb and save uh, something. And another one is to save the world and stuff like that. There are very different ones for the educational system, for classes, like for children. We did a lot to do with environment and recycling. And all of those games have to do with saving the world. And motivation is very important for players to give them a purpose that they need to fulfill for them to be motivated to solve either saving the world or defusing the bomb or something like that. But in the escape room industry, it's all escape rooms. In the gamification industry, it's not all escape rooms. It's escape boxes and different types of games. Bringing it back to escape rooms for one last question, it's Israel specific. In Israel, there is a genre of culinary escape rooms. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because that's a unique thing as far as I'm aware. I've played one of them that was brought into New York, Sugar Rush. But I'm curious to hear more about this. Did you like Sugar Rush? Was it fun? <laughs> <laughs> I saw a lot of potential in it, and I didn't feel like it fully lived up to its potential. Very diplomatic. Yes, it's not my design, so you can say whatever you want. You can say whatever you want, even if it is my design. I always say about my designs that if you liked something, it's probably because I designed it. And if you don't like something, it's probably because of the execution which is, uh, <laughs> yeah. I say it uh, jokingly, but it's fun to, to look at it that way. Speaking of culinary escape rooms, Yoav Vanyas is uh, one of the most creative people I've known in this industry. He had some of the more creative escape rooms in Israel, even before he invented the culinary escape rooms. He had one escape room called The Terrible Roommate, where you had to go into an apartment to find drug money left by your friend and you meet his roommate, which is an actor who is a stoner. And that game was so different 
from anything else that was in Israel at that time. It was the very first comedy room in Israel, which was a genre you rarely saw in escape rooms. And it was so hilarious. It was amazing. It was very, very, very funny. And Yoav designed some of the funniest and most creative games in Israel. And then he had this idea for people to come to his home, to his kitchen home, and solve puzzles to get ingredients to make a pizza in his kitchen home and save some money on renting a place to do that. And he started doing that. It was a huge hit. The concept was amazing. And the neighbors started complaining. So he closed down the one at his home. He rented the space and he started the very first culinary escape room. It succeeded. He designed another and another. He got a partner that works with him, Idan Shalon, and they designed together those escape rooms. They have, I think, seven or eight culinary escape rooms in Israel and many escape room boxes. And this is very interesting to note because when I played the very first, which was the cupcakes one, I realized something which I'm not sure he intended, but part of the thing, it was not only fun and whimsical with great puzzles and you get the ingredients and you make the cupcakes. It was also educational because when I came into the room, I said, there was no way that in 60 minutes, I'm going to learn how to make cupcakes. I can't bake for the life of me. And within 60 minutes, I made cupcakes. I made them from scratch and I knew how to make cupcakes. So above all, that was amazing for me. David, when you said culinary escape room, you did not mean an escape room that was just themed around food. You meant that they are actually making food in the escape room. You guys are cooking yes. and baking in an escape room. Okay. I just wanted to clarify. Wow. Yes. You literally make it from scratch. You make pizza, you make cupcakes, you make, there's a burger one, there's a cocktails one, there's all kinds. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of playing any rooms or games where you end up with a souvenir or something that you've made during the experience. So, you know, solve our shirts. I like that you still have a t-shirt at the end of this game. I love the fact that you can play this game and then now you can eat a pizza. Yeah. And this basis could be like for many other things. Like if you can gather ingredients and make a pizza, you can theoretically gather ingredients to get a haircut in an escape room. You can <laughs> gather ingredients to get a tattoo. Yeah. So that concept is amazing. And the culinary escape rooms are really recommended, even though I didn't design any of them. I, I love those. <laughs> what a fun note to end on. Guy, could you share with us some of your favorite escape rooms in Israel that you did not design? I don't want to... <laughs> Is this too hard because you've designed everything? <laughs> no, it's hard because I don't want to ruffle any feathers with not mentioning some escape rooms. But uh, when people ask me that question, I usually reply with Robin Hood, which is one of my favorites. And the culinary escape rooms, which I love and I've already mentioned. And there's also Robin Hood. Uh, it's in the city where I live. It's a very, very good game, which I did not design. And I highly recommend it. Excellent. And what comes next for you? Any new projects that you would like to share? I'm not sure what I'm allowed to talk about when it's something that has not come out yet, especially when working with the military and organizations like that. Gamification is currently my main work because the regular escape rooms, not enough of them are opening for it to be a full-time job. So I'm mostly doing gamification. There are a number of interesting projects for television, uh, which I've worked with in the past. Just a couple of weeks ago, we did an amazing, huge thing for the biggest radio station in Israel, which was also a lot of fun. And I just wanted to say Israel has great escape rooms. And anyone who wants to come here and play those escape rooms, I love promoting Israeli uh, escape room tourism. Like I go and, and do escape room tourism uh, all over Europe. We want teams to come here, play the escape rooms here in Israel. So everyone is invited. We have great escape rooms, Terpeka win, uh, award-winning escape rooms, culinary escape rooms. Come play. Feel free to talk to me. Talk to me on Facebook or on Discord, wherever you want. And I can help you set things up. I can help you recommend rooms and help with the booking and everything. Come to Israel. Uh, you as well. 
David, PG, come to Israel. We were planning on coming in June of 2020 for a friend's wedding, and、uh, that trip got delayed, and then that couple broke up. <laughs> wow! <laughs> well, don't threaten me with a good time. I'm ready to travel anywhere for good escape rooms. <laughs> We want to get there. It's it's definitely on the list. Excellent. Where can people find you on social media if they would like to follow you? I'm not the follow you kind of type. I think. That's okay. Or you can share a website. There's my website.、Uh, it's a Cerebro C O I L. It's in Hebrew. If anyone is interested, and you can find Guy Bosco on Facebook if you want to talk. I'm also on Discord on the forums there, talking.、Uh, sometimes writing the Global Enthusiast Group. That's it. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing with us so much about your experience and about Israeli escape rooms. Thank you for having me. That was amazing. I enjoyed it very much. The Reality Escape Pod is produced by Lisa Spira, edited by Steve Ewing of Stand Inside Media, and brought to you by RoomEscapeArtist.com, your home for well-researched, rational, and reasonably humorous escape room and immersive gaming content and events. Hi, folks. It's that time again. You know the one where we ask you to back us on our Patreon. Now I know that everyone has Patreon request fatigue. I have it too, and I know that you're used to hearing that it takes a lot of work to make this content, and that the money goes a long way. But it really is true. All of the things that we're doing take a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money, and the support that we get from our Patreon community is invaluable. If you have the money available and love what we're doing, please do consider backing us on Patreon. It means more than I think you realize. Thanks. If you have been enjoying the content on Reality Escape Pod, David and I would really appreciate a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. It really goes a long way towards helping us market the podcast and growing this podcast. We'd like to take a moment to thank our highest tier sponsors. Derek Tam, Breakout Games, Jonathan Driscoll, Pat Tupin, Rex Miller, Paula Swan, Scott Olson, and Byron Delmonico. Okay, so this is a small anecdote about Israeli escape rooms. The word escape room in Israel—it's two words. It's escape and room. The word escape is bricha. I'm teaching you a bit of Hebrew here. And there is a word in Hebrew bricha, which is very similar, which means a swimming pool. So when you say escape room with a certain accent, or if you don't hear very well, you hear a swimming pool room. So occasionally that would happen, not a lot, but it happened to almost every room owner and to myself as well when I was a room owner that people would show up with towels and bathing suits, and <laughs> they would, and sometimes people would play and then they would look at the camera and say,、uh, "This is nice, but where is the pool?" <laughs> That's a different kind of immersive. Yeah. yeah. So that only only in Israel you get that confusion because of the word、uh, similarity. <laughs> <laughs>